Chapter 19 of The Last Trail. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Venditti, MikeVenditti.com. The Last Trail by Zane Gray. Chapter 19. A dense white fog rose from the river, obscuring all objects. When the bordermen rolled out of their snug bed of leaves, the air was cool and bracing, faintly fragrant with drying foliage and the damp, dewy luxuriance of the ripened season. Wetzel pulled from under the protecting ledge a bundle of bark and sticks he had put there to keep dry and built the fire, while Jonathan, fashioning a cup from a green fruit resembling a gourd, filling it at a spring nearby. Lou, there's a frosty nip in the water this morning, said Jonathan. I reckon it's getting along into fall now, any clear. Still, night'll fetch all the leaves and strip the trees bare as burned timber, answered Wetzel, brushing the ashes off the strip of meat he had roasted. Get a stick and help me cook the rest of this chunk of bison. The sun'll be an hour breaking up that mist, and we can't clear out till then. Maybe we won't have no chance to light another fire soon. With these bordermen, everything pertaining to their lonely lives, from the lighting of a fire to the trailing of a redskin, was singularly serious. No gladsome song ever came from their lips. There was no jollity around their campfire. Hunters had their moments of rapturous delight. Bordermen knew the peace, the content of the wilderness. But their pursuits racked nerve and heart. Wetzel had his moments of frenzied joy but they passed with the echo of his vengeful yell. Jonathan's happiness, such as it was, had been to roam the forests that, before a woman's eyes had dispelled it, had been enough, and compensated him for the gloomy, bloody phantoms which haunted him. The bordermen, having partaken of the frugal breakfast, stowed in their spacious pockets all the meat that was left, and were ready for the day's march. They sat silent for a time, waiting for the mist to lift. It broke in places, rolled in huge billows, sailed aloft like great white clouds, and again hung tenaciously to the river and the plain. Away in the west, blue patches of sky shone through the rifts, and eastward banks of misty vapor reddened beneath the rising sun. Suddenly, from beneath the silver edge of the rising pall, the sun burst, gleaming gold, disclosing the winding valley with its steaming river. We'll make upstream for two islands, and cross there, if so be we've reason. Wetzel had said. Through the dewy dells, avoiding the wet grass and bushes, along the dark, damp glades with their yellow carpets, under the thinning arches of the trees, down the gentle slopes of the ridges, rich with green moss, the bordermen glided like gray shadows. The forest was yet asleep. A squirrel frisked up an oak and barked quarrelsomely at these strange, noiseless visitors. A crow cawed from somewhere overhead. These were the only sounds disturbing the quiet early hour. As the bordermen advanced, the woods lightened and awoke. To life and joy, birds sang, trilled, warbled, or whistled, their plaintive songs peculiar to the dying season and in harmony with the glory of the earth. Birds that in earlier seasons would have screeched and fought now sang and fluttered side by side in fraternal parade on their slow pilgrimage to the far south. "'Bad time for us,' 
when the birds are so tame and chipper. We can't put faith in them these days, says Wetzel. Seems like they never was wild, I can tell, except at this season, by the way they whistle and act in the woods. If there's been any engines along the trails. The greater part of the morning passed thus, with the bordermen steadily traversing the forest. Here, through a spare and gloomy wood blasted by fire, worn by age, with many a dethroned monarch of bygone times rotting to punk and duff under the ferns, with many a dark, seamed, and ragged king still standing, but gray and bald of head, and almost ready to take its place in the forest of the past. There, through a maze of young saplings, where each ash, maple, hickory, and oak added some new beautiful hue to the riot of color. I just had a glimpse of the lower island as we passed an opening in the thicket, said Jonathan. We ain't far away, replied Wetzel. The bordermen walked less rapidly in order to proceed with more watchfulness. Every rod or two they stopped to listen. You think Leggett's across the river? asked Jonathan. He was two days back and had his gang with him. He's up to some bad work, but I can't make out what. One thing. I never seen his trail so near Fort Henry. They merged at length into a more open forest which skirted the river, at a point still some distance ahead, but plainly in sight. Two small islands rose out of the water. What's that? whispered Wessel, slipping his hand in Jonathan's arm. A hundred yards beyond lay a long, dark figure stretched at full length under one of the trees close to the bank. Looks like a man, said Jonathan. You've hit the mark. Take a good peep round now, Jack, for we're coming somewhere near the trail we want. Minutes passed while the patient bordermen searched the forest with their eyes, seeking out every tree within rifle range, or surveyed the level glades, scrutinized the hollows, and bent piercing eyes upon the patches of ferns. If there's a redskin around, he ain't big enough to hold a gun, said Wetzel, moving forward again yet still with that same stealthy step and keen caution. Finally, they were gazing down upon the object which had attracted Wetzel's attention. "'Will Shepard!' cried Jonathan. "'Is he dead?' "'What's this mean?' Wetzel leaned over the prostrate lad, and then quickly turned to his companion. "'Get some water. Take his cap. No?' He ain't even hurt bad, unless he's got some wound as don't show. Jonathan returned with the water, and Wetzel bathed the bloody face. When the gash on Will's forehead was clean, it told the borderman much. Not an hour old, that blow, muttered Wetzel. He's coming, too, said Jonathan, as the lad stirred uneasily and moaned. Presently the lad opened his eyes and sat bolt upright. He looked bewildered for a moment and felt of his head while gazing vaguely at the borderman. Suddenly he cried, I remember we were captured, brought here, and I was struck down by that villain case. We, who was with you? asked Jonathan slowly. Helen, we came after flowers and leaves. While in full sight of the fort I saw an Indian. We hurried back, he cried, and proceeded with broken, panting voice to tell his story. Jonathan Zane leapt to his feet with face deadly white and eyes blue-black like burning stars. Jack, study the trail while I get the lad across the river and steered for home, said Wetzel, 
and then he asked Will if he could swim. Yes, but you will find a canoe there in those willows. Come, lad, we've no time to spare, added Wetzel, sliding down the bank and entering the willows. He came out almost immediately with the canoe which he launched. Will turned that he might make a parting appeal to Jonathan to save Helen, but could not speak. The expression on the borderman's face frightened him. Motionless and erect, Jonathan stood, his arms folded, and his white stern face distorted with the agony of remorse, fear, and anguish, which, even as Will gazed, froze into an awful, deadly look of fateful purpose. Wetzel pushed the canoe off and paddled with powerful strokes. He left Will on the opposite bank and returned as swiftly as he could propel the light craft. The bordermen met each other's glance and had little need of words. Wetzel's great shoulders began to sag slightly, and his head lowered as his eyes sought the grass. A dark and gloomy shade overcast his features. Thus he passed from borderman to death wind. The saw of the wind overhead among the almost naked branches might well have warned Indians and renegades that death wind was on the trail. France had a hand in this, and the Englishman's a fool, says Wetzel. An hour ahead, can we come up with them before they join Brant and Leggett? We can try, but like as not we'll fail. Leggett's gang is thirteen strong by now. I said it. Something told me a long trail, a hard trail, and our last trail. It's over thirty miles to Leggett's camp. We know the woods and every stream and every cover, hissed Jonathan Zane. With no further words, Westall took the trail on the run, and so plain was it to his keen eyes that he did not relax a steady lope except to stop and listen at regular intervals. Jonathan followed with easy swing through the forest and meadow, over hill and valley that ran fleet and tireless. Once, with unerring instinct, they abruptly left the broad trail and cut far across a wide, rugged ridge to come upon the tracks of the marching band. Then, in open country, they reduced their speed to a walk. Ahead, in a narrow valley rose a thicket of willows, yellow in the sunlight and impenetrable to human vision. Like huge snakes, the bordermen crept into this cope, over the sand, until the low branches, hard on the trail, finally in a light open space, where the sun shone through the network of yellow branches and foliage. Wetzel's hand was laid upon Jonathan's shoulder. "'Listen, hear that,' he whispered. Jonathan heard the flapping of wings and a low hissing sound, not unlike that made by a goose. "'Buzzards,' he said, with a dark, grim smile. Maybe Brandt has begun our work. Come. Out into the open they crawled to put to flight a flock of huge black birds with grisly naked necks, hooked beaks, and long yellow claws. Upon the green grass lay three half-naked men, ghastly, bloody, in terrible limp, and lifeless positions. Metzer's man-smith, Jinx the outlaw, and Mordaunt. Jonathan Zane gazed darkly into the steely, sightless eyes of the traitor. Death's awful calm had set the expression, but the man's whole life was there, its better part sadly shining forth among the cruel shadows. 
His body was mutilated in a frightful manner. Cuts, stabs, and slashes told the tale of a long encounter, brought to an end by one clean stroke. "'Come here, Lou. You've seen men chopped up. But look at this dead Englishman,' called Zane. Mordaunt lay weltering in a crimson tide. Strangely, though, his face was uninjured. A black bruise showed under his fair hair. The ghost of a smile seemed to hover around his set lips. Yet almost intangible though it was, it showed that at last he had died a man. His left shoulder, side, and arm, short with the brunt of Brant's attack, had fallen. How did he ever fight so? mused Jonathan. You never can tell, replied Wetzel. Maybe he killed this other feller, too, but I reckon not. Come, we must go slow now, for Leggett is near at hand. Jonathan brought huge, flat stones from the brook and laid them over Mordaunt. Then, cautiously, he left the glade on Wetzel's trail. Five hundred yards further on, Wetzel had ceased following the outlaw's tracks to cross the creek and climb a ridge. He was beginning his favorite trick of making a wide detour. Jonathan hurried forward, feeling he was safe from observation. Soon he distinguished the tall, brown figure of his comrade, gliding ahead from tree to tree, from bush to bush. "'See them maples? Chestnuts down there?' said Wetzel, when Jonathan had come up, pointing through an opening in the foliage. "'They've stopped for some reason.' On through the forest the bordermen glided. They kept near the summit on the ridge under the best cover they could find, and passed swiftly over the half-circle. Then, beginning once more to draw toward the open grove in the valley, they saw a long, irregular cliff, densely wooded. They swerved a little and made for this excellent covert. They crawled the last hundred yards and never shook a fern, moved a leaf or broke a twig. Having reached the break of the low precipice, they saw the grassy meadow below, the straggling trees, the brook, the group of Indians crowding around the white men. "'See that point of rock there? That's better cover,' whispered Wetzel. Patiently, with no hurry or excitement, they slowly made their difficult way among the rocks and ferns to the vantage point desired. Taking a position like this one, the bordermen strongly favored. They could see everywhere in front and had the thick woods at their back. "'What are they up to?' whispered Jonathan, as he and Wetzel lay close together under a mass of grapevine, still tenacious of its broad leaves. "'Dyson,' answered Wetzel. "'I can see him throw. Anyways, nothing but betting ever makes redskins act like that. "'Who's playing? Where's Brant?' "'I can make out Leggett, see shaggy head. The other must be Case. Brant ain't in sight. Nursing a hurt, perhaps.' Ah, see there, over under the big tree as stands dark like again the thicket. That's an engine, and he looks too quiet and keen to suit me. We'll have a care of him. Must be planned for Mordaunt's gold. Like as not, for where'd them ruffians get any sep they stole it? Ah, they're getting up. See Leggett walk away, shaking his big head? He's mad. Maybe he'll be madder presently, growled Jonathan. Case is left alone. He's counting his winnings. Jack, look out for more work. Took off our hands. By gum, see that engine knock up a level rifle? I told you. 
and that redskin has his suspicions. He's seen us down along their ridge. There's Helen sitting behind the biggest tree. That engine guard, afore he moved, kept us from seeing her. Jonathan made no answer to this, but his breath literally hissed through his clenched teeth. There goes the other outlaw, whispered Wetzel, as if his comrade could not see. It's all up with Case, see that sneak bending down the bank? Now that's a poor way. It had better be done from the front, walking up natural-like, instead of trying to cover that wide stretch. Case see him, hear him sure. There, he's up now, and crawling. He's too slow, too slow. I, I knew it. Case turns, look at the outlaw spring. Did you see that little cuss whoop his knife? One more or less for us to quiet. That makes four, Jack, and maybe soon it'll be five. They're holding the council, said Jonathan. I see two engines sneaking off into the woods, and here comes that guard. He's a keen redskin, Jack, for we did come light through the brush. Maybe it'd be well to stop his scouting. Lou, that villain case is bullying Helen, cried Jonathan. Shh, whispered Wetzel. See, he's pulled her to her feet. Oh, he struck her. Oh, Jonathan leveled his rifle and would have fired, but for the iron grasp on his wrists. If you lost your senses, it's full two hundred paces and too far for your peace, said Wetzel in a whisper. And it ain't sense to try from here. Let me your gun. Let me your gun. Silently, Wetzel handled him the long black rifle. Jonathan raised it, but trembled so violently that the barrel wavered like a leaf in the breeze. Take it. I can't cover him, groaned Jonathan. This is new to me. I ain't myself. God, Lou, he struck her again, again. He's trying to kiss her. Wetzel, if you are my friend, kill him. Jack, it'd be better to wait and... I love her, breathed Jonathan. The long black barrel swept up to a level and stopped. White smoke belched from among the green leaves. The report rang throughout the forest. Ah, oh, I saw him stop and pause, hissed Jonathan. He stands, he sways, he falls. Death for yours, you sailor beast. End of chapter 19